Ooh, oh, come on. Some of you are a little happy. Some of you are like, I'm not sure how I'm doing. After a praise service like that, how are you doing this morning? You know, there was a lady, um, her name is Catherine Duanel. She used to be in this church for many years. Uh, she's right now rejoicing with Jesus. At one point, she was the oldest person in the state of Nebraska. And every time you greet her, every time, every single time, a rainy day, 155 degrees outside and humid, it doesn't matter. You ask her at 108, how are you doing? How are you? She goes, I am blessed and highly favored. It was contagious. Good morning, Catherine. How are you doing? I am blessed and highly favored. Well, you are blessed and highly favored of the Lord. So let me try this again. How are we doing this morning? Praise the Lord. Amen. That's a statement of faith. And you keep reminding yourself that. I think you live differently. So this morning we're going to go to the Word of God. And I'm going to share a word with you here in a moment. Um, uh, if you have your Bibles open to Joshua chapter 14. Okay, I love it when you talk back to me. And the title of the message today is Give Me. Come on, say that with me. Give me. Oh my goodness, that's the weakest give me yet. <laughs> Hopefully when I ask you that again after the service, I will hear. Look at someone, your neighbor, and tell him, give me. Give me. Oh, look at, them, look at the other guy again and say, give me. Give me. Wow. Give me is two words, very simple, but can have huge implications, depending on where it's coming from. Now, I believe this morning the Lord's got a word for, for you and, and, and for me as well. And I, and, and I feel like my assignment to, to give you this word this morning is to do two things. One, there are some people that have, they need to have healing on their faith. Maybe your faith has been bruised, you know, and I believe the assignment today by the word of the Lord that there'll be a release of that healing mechanism in faith in your heart that can allow you to live and believe God in your life. And, and, and sometimes I've found there are people who walk in faith and they believe God, and sometimes they take a bruising on their faith where you're praying and believing, and then things don't turn out the way you are hoping that they would turn out. And so uh, slowly you start praying uh, some kind of safe prayers. And you pull back a little bit on praying prayers of faith. And then there are some people that have never learned in their lives to pray a prayer of faith. And I believe this morning both people, the people of prayer, I believe that God will ignite. If you would open your heart to the Lord, that he will, he will ignite a flame of faith in your spirit if you would receive the word of God and be, and be open to it. It is the prayer of faith, the Bible says, James talks about it, that heals. It is faith that pleases the Lord in Ephesians. It says, without faith it is impossible to please God. And he that comes to God must first believe that he is, and that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So, I want us to go to Joshua. And um, let, um, in fact, before I read, why don't we just take a moment, let's pray over the word and we'll read it. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for who you are. Thank you for your presence in our lives. Thank you that when we lift you up, that you said you would draw all men to you. Today, we lift you up over everything. We lift you up above all else. We say, Lord, be magnified in our midst. And God, let your word be exalted over us today. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see. 
to know what you're saying to us, what you're speaking to the church today. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. So I'm going to read out of Joshua chapter 14. I'm going to read a story there. And then I'm also going to, that of a man named Caleb. And he, read, he, he, he uttered those words, give me. And, and there's another guy that I've also drawn his story in the New Testament that used the same words. But both words resulted in uh, different um, uh, results. He came, uh, and so I, why don't we go to Joshua first. Chapter 14. Let's begin reading on verse, verse 6. So you know what the law said to Moses. This is Joshua, uh, this is Caleb approaching Joshua, who was the leader of Israel at the time. At this point in their history, the Israelites had uh, gotten to the promised land, and they're starting to take territory that they had waited for many years. And Joshua was the leader. And so Caleb comes to Joshua, and he reminds him of something that had happened a long time ago. He says, Joshua, you know what the law said to Moses, the man of God at Kadesh Barnea, about you and, and, and me. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the law, sent me to Kadesh Barnea to explore the land. And I brought to him back a report according to my convictions. My fellow Israelites who went up with me made the hearts of the people melt in fear. You know, you can, always have, you can either have faith or have fear. You, when, when, when life happens to you, you can either respond in faith or react in fear. And so this is, more, uh, Caleb is reminding his friend Joshua. Do you remember back then, you and I when we were younger, were sent with 12 other people to go and spy out the land that God wants to give us as a promise, as an inheritance. And when we came back, the 10 guys that came along with us came back so discouraged and they started speaking things that got people re reacting in fear people getting um, just uh, all worked up by what they were hearing and, and they got totally discouraged but it wasn't you you and I didn't do that I said we brought back a report I brought back a report and you remember based on my conviction And this is why, he says, but then my fellow Israelites, okay, they cause people to, to react in fear. I, however, follow the Lord, my God, wholeheartedly. I want you, if you're writing notes, if you're marking, I'm going to give you a few key words as I, as I read along that you could write on your book or highlight on your Bible or your digital Bible. He followed the Lord, I want you to note that, wholeheartedly. He wasn't like, God, I'm going to try you and see if things work out, I'm going to keep trusting you. If they don't work out, you know, I might have to do something else. No, he went all out and had trusted the Lord. And he's saying, that's what I did. So on that day, he says, Moses swore to me. And he says, the land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance and that of your children forever. Because you have followed the Lord, my God, help me out. Can't read that word. It's too difficult for me. Wholeheartedly. You didn't waver. You didn't give him just a little bit. You didn't see what you have. Uh, you spend everything you have and see what you have left over to give to God. No, you, you, you surrendered your whole life to him. Now, 
then you just as the Lord promised he has kept me alive for 45 years so this guy is 85 since that time and he has said this to, to Mo, he said this to Moses while Israel was moving about in the wilderness. So here I am today, 85 years old, and I'm still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. And I'm just as vigorous to go out into battle now as I was then. Now help me again. Now give me this hill country that the Lord promised me that day. Then Joshua blessed Caleb the son of Jephunneh, and gave him Hebron as his inheritance. So Hebron has belonged to Caleb, to Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, ever since, because he followed the Lord God of Israel. How did he follow him? Wholeheartedly. Flip over to Luke chapter 15, and I'm going to just read a couple, pick a, just a line here. And this is the story of the uh, prodigal son. He says, Jesus is telling his disciples this story. He said, Jesus continued, verse 11. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided the property between them. He also said the same words. What did he say? Give me. And we know the end of the story, so I'm not going to read the rest of it. Mark, one more verse. Mark chapter 11, verse 24. It says, therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them. I love Ben Campbell Johnson, who's a biblical scholar and teacher, uh, legendary back in the day. He wrote on his paraphrase of the Bible, he, he paraphrased this passage of scripture and here's how he wrote. And I love how he said, he says, when you, anyone's expression in prayer is congruent with his inner being, his desires will be actualized. Because of this principle, when he, you discover your soul's deepest desire, set them in your prayers and consider them to have occurred. When these statements come out of your innermost being, Forgive anyone of who you have a grudge so that your desires do not get ensnared with your grudges. Powerful. I mean, I could just camp there. And, and I, just looking at the passage and comparing the contrast of, of those words give me, um, and I, it's interesting to read two different stories. Both of these guys, both Joshua, oh not Joshua, see I'm mixing up names, Caleb uh, and the prodigal son, were looking for real estate property. He says, give me the land, give me the hill country. That the Lord... But, but if, you, if you read the stories of these two men, you know that one's life went one way and another one went another way. And it wasn't so much uh, the why, what they said, because they literally said the same thing. It's not even so much what the desire was, because... They desired the same thing, but their motives were different. Caleb impresses me so much when I grow up, I want to be like him. I mean, this guy is 85 years old, and he still has got the fire of God inside of him. He's saying, 45 years later, he says, I have that word that the Lord gave me. I know the promise that he said back then. 
And I know it. It's deep inside of my heart and I'm ready to go. If it takes fighting, give me the mountain. I will take it. I'm just as eager to go to battle as I was when I was 40 years old. I'm so determined even now as I was back then. I have not lost the fire. You see, this guy had lived long enough to see most of his family die. He had lived long enough to see most of his friends die. And he lived around people that were complainers and murmurers. In the sense, they, they sinned in those, in those 40 years in the desert when the Israelites were, uh, were going around the mountain. The thing that they went over and over and over again was is that they were murmurers and complainers. And he dwelt around, around people like that. If you've ever been around people that are murmurers and complainers, you know what I'm talking about. I don't know if you have a friend or a family member or someone that's really close that just love to hear themselves be sorry for themselves. And they want to invite you to the camp and sit down with them and start feeling sorry for them together. And they'll talk about, oh, how this went bad, or how da-da-da. And they'll tell you about all the misfortunes. And the moment you want to speak faith into their lives, they don't want to hear that because they love to sit down there and feel sorry for themselves. And those are the people that he was around all these years, but yet he never allowed himself, his faith, to waver. He never allowed the fire to waver. He held on to the promise. He kept it deep inside of his spirit, his innermost being. He knew that God has said something, and when God promises that all his promises are yes and amen, so I will hang on to the promises of God to the day I die. I'm so determined because I know that if God's promise, God will do it. The Bible says that God is not a man that he should lie. He's not a son of man that he should repent. Has he not spoken? He has this not spoken, then he would do. And he kept that. He says, he comes, he comes to Moses and he says, you know, they came back and they reported to, the, to Moses. Uh, he says to Joshua, they came back and reported to Moses what they had seen in Canaan. But I did not just speak of what I saw. I spoke out of my conviction. And my conviction is that I know who God is. I know the God who took us out of Egypt. I know the God who saved me from destruction. I know if, if it wasn't for the Lord, I wouldn't be here today. And I know the one who, who, who called me, he is faithful. That he who began a good work in me back then, he is faithful to complete it to the day of Christ. So when I spoke that, I was speaking in faith. Yes, I saw the giants. Yes, I knew that they had an upper hand. Physically, they had more resources than we ever had. But I knew that my God is more than able to give us what he said he will give us. I know that the word of God it can be relied upon. And so when I spoke that day, I didn't know we were still in the wilderness trying to figure this thing out. But I spoke in faith because of who I know. Yes. I spoke in faith because I could see what wasn't there already. Because God faith he speaks to, to things that are not as though they are. Why? What inspires us was the word of God. I'm so, I was so impressed with how, ma- how many years he kept that faith about the promise of God. Last week we were, um, after the message, uh, if, if you're here last week, we had Pastor Joel, the youth pastor in Singapore, and, and he spoke a great word last week, right? He did. And during the ministry time, I was going around praying, people on the altar, and I was going around praying for people, and I, and, I, and, I, and I saw that Caleb spirit in the church just in action. And as I'm going around praying and laying hands on people and just praying, 
Grandma Stan, Eleanor, about 90 years old, she was sitting right there. I almost passed her because people were standing and she was sitting down. I mean, this is a woman that's um, done so much for the kingdom of God. At 75 years old, she, she sold everything she had, went to Africa, started an orphanage that's starting because God had given her that word when she was 20 that she'll be a mother of the orphanage. In fact, she even wrote a book called Not Too Old. I mean, she spoke into my life as a young person when I was, uh, I would say, 19, 20 years old and prophesied over me. And that word propelled me, gave me hope, uh, gave me confidence about what God uh, is to do with my life in the future. But when I passed in, she goes, hey, don't pass me, Solo, don't pass me. <laughs> and right there, I just smiled. I said, I want to be like her when I grow up. I want to be like her when I grow up. That I keep the fire. At 90 years old, I, I don't want to be passed by by what God's doing. You know, so when, you, you know, when you're 18 or 16, you're thinking, man, I have dreams, I have desires, I have aspirations. I want to do, do great. When you're 20, you still have that passion. But sometimes when people get into their 40s, 50s, and they start realizing that there's a guy that's better than they are. Like anything you can do. I can do better. <laughs> and they've tried and they've failed. And tried again and failed again. And they start believing that maybe, maybe I am just destined for this. Maybe I will never amount to anything. I, I don't like it when I meet people that you feel like. You, you're talking to them and they're saying, pray for me. And, and you can tell in their heart that somehow they've somewhat given up on God and they're 25 years old. Or a teenager has given up on God already. But she's at 90 says, you know, don't pass me. Don't pass me. Lay hands on me. Pray for me. I want the blessing now just as I did 20 years when I was 20 years old. It's like, I said, that's what I want to be like. And I know one thing, and I'm going to just call out a little bit. One thing she uh, did, prays and desires, like, God, I want to see a revival while I'm still here. Yeah. See, when you re experience a revival, even the tail end of it, you know when there, is, when there is no revival. And you know that there is more of God than we even scratch the surface. I experienced a, a wave of revival as a young person and in, in Kenya where there was just an incredible move of God that just turned the church upside down. And I know she experienced revival back then. And she's praying. And her prayer is like, God, I want to see revival. I want to see revival come to Lincoln, Nebraska. Because in revival, it's not just uh, innovation or ingenuity. No, it's the work of the Spirit. Is that what he says? It's not by might. It's not by power. It's by the Spirit of God. People are getting saved. They're getting delivered. They're, they're, they're seeing miracles happen in their lives. People with addictions, they don't even go through a program. A touch of God changes everything. That's what revival does. And so her prayer has always been, God, I want to see revival. I want to see revival in Nebraska. And at 90 years old, she's still praying. And when she said that, I knew in my heart, I could tell in my spirit, something jumped inside of me. And that's why I, I was thinking about Caleb there. I said, God, I want to have that fire. I want to keep that fire. I mean, at 40 years old, I, I'm not even 40. I'll be 40 in February here, next year. And, and I'm saying, this guy was my age, and that hit me when, when God gave him the promise. But at 85, you're still holding on. He was still holding on. And he says, not just barely holding on. He says, come on, what do you need, Joshua? You need some people to go out and fight? Come on. Give me my AK-47. Let me show him how, how it's done. I'm ready. He was ready to fight. 
And he kept that fire. He says, give me that hill country. Give me that promise that God had for me. Give me that hill country because God promised. He said, he promised through his servant Moses and he says, you will have this land. This is going to be yours. And Joshua says, man, I haven't seen fire like that in a long time. God bless you. And he says he blessed him and he gave him Hebron. And Hebron was, it became his, not just his, his sons, his, his grandchildren. And all his descendants got to enjoy that, that, that inheritance. And I think it's interesting because the word, the, in both of these stories that I contrast here, they have to do with real estate, land. Because land does have... Land represents something. It represents our identity. And I never really thought too much of it, but, but you do not realize that the greatest conflict, and the longest and the greatest conflict in human history has to do with land yeah. and property. I was talking to a Muslim guy, an Egyptian Muslim, and we're talking just about um, uh, the Lord contrasting the Bible, and, and I said, so, so, so I said, no, I know Egypt is very unique in the Islam world in that they're not fully Arabs, some of them are, but they, they, they predated Islam. And so when you read it in the Quran, when they talk about Moses, what they, like they do in the Bible and the, and the Torah, and the story of Moses, Egypt was, was the, they were the bad guys. How, how, how does that play out <laughs> in, uh, in how you are taught? Like when you ta- teach about it, when, and, and it says, it's like, well, they just blame Pharaoh did not want God, da, 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 da. But it was interesting. It was a good conversation. I wanted to, an open door to witness to this man, and the Lord is using our conversations, and so we could talk about it. But, uh, but, but in our conversation, we realized that the, 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 biggest, the biggest conflict that can set the world spinning right now is dispute of a tiny little piece of land on the, on the planet. I mean, it has inspired people to, to build nuclear weapons and everything, you know, just because one tiny little piece of property that is fought for, and everybody claims. And, 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 they, and here, Caleb is going after property. The young man goes, Dad, just, I, I, want, I, want, I want what's mine. I know you have all this land, you know, and I know there's, there's only two of us, so I know half of it is mine. And, and, and in essence, he's actually prophesying the death of his father. Because an inheritance comes after the death of your parent, right? But he says, God, that's good as death to me, Dad. And you give me that. But one guy, Caleb, let me just contrast a few things and then I'll, I'll move on. Caleb's request, verse 7 says, I, I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Paneer exp- to exploit the land. And I brought him back a report according to my conviction. You see, Caleb, when he was asking, when he was saying, give me, give me that mountain, give me that piece of property, he wasn't doing it out of an external influence or in a canon mind, if you would. He was drawing that from a conviction from God's word and God's promise. So, but the prodigal son, and it's a really interesting spiritual principle here. The prodigal son asks and says, give me, Father, give me what what belongs to me. But obviously his motivation was to impress people. He was looking at people, maybe his bodies, and maybe had it better than he did. 
or he wanted to somehow feel like if I have the coolest things, if I have the coolest toys, if I have the coolest um, this or that, that maybe I will get respect, maybe I will get honored, maybe, maybe they'll, they'll think of me better than they think of me now. So his, his motivation was driven by external factors, a kind of mindedness, and, they, and then it's not that the thing itself is wrong, but it's why. See, God is never against praying for material things. And it's not wrong to actually desire material prosperity or, or different things, or even good toys. But the question is, why do you want the toy? What's driving you? Do you want it to kind of to impress people? Or just for enjoyment period? See, for enjoyment period, there's nothing wrong with that. But some people have this mixed up. And so they get themselves in trouble. They get over their head with debt to impress people who they'll never meet. They keep themselves from moving forward because they're trying too hard to keep up with the Joneses and they get their finances all messed up because they want to impress people. God says, no, you don't have to worry about this thing. So they said that with Caleb, he was looking not just for himself. He says, this is what the Lord had promised for my children and my children's children as an inheritance for them. He was not just looking out for himself. He was looking to impact future generations. He was looking to live a blessing that would keep on giving uh, beyond his time. So his motivation was not just about himself. He says it was for generations to come. His drive, the promise of God. The other guys drive comparing with others. And at the end of the, both of their stories, Caleb, he says, you read at the end there, he says that Joshua blessed Caleb, verse 13. And verse 14, he says that that land, Hebron, became his inheritance, and his people ended up inheriting it. But the prodigal son, as he went out and started out really high, he squandered everything, got to the point where he had nothing left, and he came back begging. Now, God's gracious, maybe you are the prodigal son. You feel like, man, I have really messed up. I have gone far, far, far. That story is awesome because it shows us what we were singing this morning. Because God's love is reckless. He doesn't, we can't really earn it. We, we, can't really, we don't really deserve it. But he, even, even after we've gone so far, he says, you're not too far. For where God's hands and God's love cannot reach you. So God did bring him back, but he, he had a lot of regrets in his life. One man asked the land. The other one asked for land. And, and, and it speaks of what our priorities are in life. If we have some things that we've kind of made it too big for God, where we draw the line, maybe greater than God, if you would. Now, if I asked you, is there anything in your life that you've made bigger than God? I don't think a single person will say, oh, yeah. But we do that in how we live sometimes. It's like, God, I trust you with everything. I give you this. But boy, you know, when it comes to my, 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 my relationships, that area, I got it. I'm really good at that. 
I'm not bringing that under the authority of God. Oh, oh God, my, my finances, you know, I know you're good. I want to go to heaven. But when it comes to my money, God, I got this. Your family, what is it? What is there anything? We need to bring those under God's authority. We need to bring that under your business, whatever it is, your career. Nothing should be above. If we put him fast in our lives, and start, then we can trust that he is better at taking care of us than we are taking care of ourselves. Another thing that I see in this story is something that sometimes gets tossed around, and it's a ploy of the enemy to keep people from praying bold prayers. You know what the enemy does sometimes? He labels things. He gives it a name. That sometimes with a negative connotation. I, don't, I cannot stand when people label people. I cannot stand it. I don't care even if it, they label someone I disagree with. Because what they do, they want that person to be perceived negatively. And so you never, you only see a person from the viewpoint of negativity. Because it's, it's, it's an enemy's tactic that he uses. You know, there's a word that sometimes you don't even hear it in the word church that much because it has been labeled in a negative way and so people tend to kind of avoid it. They don't want to be associated with it. And then, then they miss out on some things that God has for their lives because there's been a label. A word that sometimes when you say it, it almost, it's almost like vulgar to utter them in church. Are you wanting to hear that word? Prosperity. Prosperity. I had someone ask me, do you believe in the prosperity gospel? I said, yeah, I do. I believe in the prosperity gospel. You see, so Satan takes something and takes a negative thing, maybe where it's been abused one way or the other, and so believers start taking, it's like, hey, they mentioned prosperity, man, I... Very, and you don't want to be associated with that family. We make it more palatable. We try to kind of change it and make it sweeter or, or excuse it. And the word prosperity is in the Bible so many times. It's so far, it's, it's sad. I've seen people, even pastors, are pulled back from teaching about giving because they don't want people to think, oh, well, you're all about the money. But yet what they're doing is they're, they're, they're robbing God's people from the blessing that comes with generosity. Because the generous heart, the Bible says, will prosper. And he that waters will himself be refreshed. There are so many blessings that are associated with that. And so, people pull back and they're afraid to ask God for things. They feel like maybe I'm, I, 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 I might be selfish here. And we see in the contrast of the story is that it wasn't even what they were praying for because they were praying for the same thing. Essentially, they're saying, God, I want more property. Give me my property. Because on the natural, on the outside, you can never tell the difference, right? Because they said the same thing. But he it says, it's what comes out of your heart. So it comes out of the spirit. And so I have seen more believers turn their prayers to those safe, predictable prayers. You know that it's going to, you know that you are, you're, you're going on that interview. And you know you put in the work. And you know that nobody's matching you. And so he's the God, thank you for that job. 
It's already, well, you knew, maybe you were already told. You just have to go through the motion because we have to. And when you're not so sure, say, God, I hope. I kind of sort of hope that if. And you start praying the if prayers or the simple, predictable, safe prayers. And maybe it's because you put yourself out one time and you dared to believe God and you were disappointed because things did not play out the way you were hoping for. Let me tell you, my friends, there are times that God will say no. There are times that God will say, wait. And when he says wait, he's stretching. And when God stretches you, he will bless you, ultimately. When he stretches you, no matter how long it is, it takes if it is a stretching of the Lord, ultimately, it will come to bless you. And you will look back and say, thank God for the stretch because the stretch made me who I am today. And if he would have blessed me when I added my mouth back then, I probably was not ready to handle what he was about to do in my life. So there are times that God says, no, there are some times he stretches you and he says, wait. And that's what... Joshua and, Joshua and Caleb and their generation, there's those two guys particularly, Caleb had kept that in his heart. He knew and he knew and he knew that God had promised. And just life went on. I think 45 years is a long time because I, I don't even know what 45 years is because I haven't been around for 45 years. But I know I've seen a lot in my almost 40 years of life. So that guy, a lot has happened in those 45 years. But he never wavered. He never once forgot. He never once doubted that what God had promised, that God will not do. What has the Lord promised? Has he promised your family, all your family will come to know the Lord? I was 19 years old and I prayed that prayer and someone had prophesied over me. He says, don't worry about your family. That every one of them will come to serve the Lord. Some of them will come easy and some of them will come hard. But they'll all that will all come. And I've kept that promise. And whenever I'm praying for my family, I'm saying, God, I remember back then that you promised that every one of my family will come to the Lord. And I have seen them come easy. And I've seen some of them come hard. But my, as far as my immediate family goes, they've all come to know the Lord. And I'm praying for my extended family that they will all come to, to know the Lord. Because I want to see them. Have you given up on some kids thinking they've gone too far? Man, I want to encourage you right now to activate that faith in you and believe that what God has promised, the promise of salvation, is not just for you. It's for us, our children, our children's children, our family, as the Bible says. And keep saying, I'm ready to fight. I'm ready to fight for them. I'm ready to continue. Uh, and sometimes you start engaging spiritually and Satan starts resisting because he's afraid. And so you get discouraged. Don't be discouraged. He's worked this thing for so long. What God has said, God will do. His promises are yes, and they are amen. We can trust him. I remember, as I close, I experienced a wounding of faith one time. I was absolutely in love with a woman from Lincoln, Nebraska. And I thought, God, you know, I think I found... The one. If you know when you know, you know. 
And it was a lot of miles to go chase after her after she left me in Kenya. But I knew I'm yet to meet her father. And I was like, man, you know, I'm going to save a lot of money. I'm going to go in there. I'm going to impress that dad. And say, man, this kid from Kenya is so good. It's like, I walk in his house. I was like, just marry my daughter. I know that's what you want. Go ahead. And so that year, before I'd come to visit and propose, I would lose my job. And things would get really hard. That year got really hard for me financially. And everything I had in my plan just went the opposite. Knocked on doors, things were not happening for me. And I'd prayed and I'd prayed and I'd prayed, God, and I was serving the Lord. I said, God, open doors. And I mean, to the day I came, I had ended up having to borrow some money. And, I, and I, to me, I was like, man, God, borrow some money just to, 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 to do what I needed to do. And uh, it, it, really, it, it really scared me. And I, was, I still kept thinking, God, why, why did you not come through for me? I mean, they did everything. I have always been faithful. I've laid everything for you, down for you. I, I serve you, and I believed. And, I, and just as the, the harder I tried, the more I tried, the worse it got. And I couldn't go in and impress my future father-in-law coming to America. And... I had to face him for who I really was. You know, when I proposed what at the line I told my wife, I see all these tremendous, excellent proposals. I mean, they've been thought out like for years. I was like, you know, I don't have a job right now. <laughs> but when I do, would you marry me? That was the line, I promise. And that, you know how much on your ego that does? And then you go to your prospective father-in-law and say, I'm unemployed. Right now I'm living with my parents. Can I marry your daughter and take her to Africa with me? Great, that's going to be really good, right? And what God works a humility inside of me to be able to show who I was, and what I'd gone through, and all that. But it hurt. It hurt. And I had realized, for several years, after the next job I took, I mean, I secured that job. I was doing like everything I could to get ahead and everything. And, and, I, and I realized that it had injured a part, component of my faith prayer that sometimes I was cautious about how I prayed. I wasn't so assuming in the way I was, uh, I was praying. But Satan had played a number on my faith. And so sometimes I prayed in faith. I still believed God and still served God. I still saw God do th some things in my life. But deep inside of my spirit, I knew there was some reservation sometimes. I pulled back on some certain areas and I played it safe. And when I reevaluated my life, I realized that that experience had done a number on me. Even though I didn't walk away from God, I did not. It was not even negotiable. 
I knew who God was. But there's an element of faith praying, specifically as it relates to finances. And I'm a banker and a financial advisor, so practical finances was my thing. And I became too practical, if you know what I'm saying. And I don't know if you have a story like that, that you waited and waited and waited, and you did not see it come through the way you wanted to. And it's kind of injured something inside of you, bruised something inside of you. You still love the Lord, you still believe God, but you're cautious. Today the Lord wants to heal that thing in your heart. You can believe God. You can start praying God's prayers again. You can trust God by his word. He is faithful. 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 I might be unfaithful sometimes, but God remains a faithful tower. And when it is all said and done, you'll be like, wow, God, this is amazing. Thank you for the trial of my faith back then, because the trial of my faith built me up to someone who I am today. And some of you today, you need to start praying. You need to start looking at your life and praying differently. You need to look at your life and say, give me, give me that. Give me that mountain. Give me that. Give me that promise. Give me that. Give me, give me, give me, and not be ashamed. And be as bold as Caleb, I am as vigorous today to take what God had promised me years ago. Amen. Can I get an amen in the house? Amen. Would you stand with me? We're going to pray.